Check. Rex Barrett. There we go. It worked this time. The Maven himself. How are you? Good, man. How's good. the sound? I'm, I'm hooked up really weird. What's really weird? I got uh, got some Bluetooth headphones on. Because I realized at the very last second that I probably needed a uh, probably needed a monitor. <laughs> that hit me like at 7.59. Because I had the mic plugged in. And I didn't have a way to hear it, seeing how I've got one of those MacBooks with only the USB-C. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know you run you run external mics, too, through, uh, through interfaces. So, yeah, if, if you don't have earbuds in or headphones of some kind, then, uh, yeah, basically it, it'll just feedback and it creates some pretty nice natural reverb but, uh, or slap back on the, the audio, but it's all good. Yeah, I think I got, I'm covered up. I'm not too loud and I'm not hearing myself, uh, in a bad way. I'm hearing myself, hear myself good. So yeah, you sound, yeah. sound perfect. What's, uh, what's good in Oklahoma? Oh man. Oh, we can, we can start off with what's good. That's good. That's good. Things are, it's so bizarre. It's, it was in the seventies today. So it feels odd in the run to Christmas, you know, just wrapping up Thanksgiving. And then being outside and think, and I'm wearing shorts right now and short sleeve shirt. And so I'm liking that. I'm liking that. Yeah. Not, you're doing it. Yeah. It's not miserable. Yeah. yeah that's pretty good. Yeah. No, uh, <clears throat> it's funny. Cause you know, it's one of those things that, um, you and I, like we, we kind of text back and forth. I call everything text for the record. That's the call. It call that's what texting it is. text. Basically, even if you phone somebody, it's still a text, like in my mind, right? So, yeah, you and I were texting back and forth through Twitter. We've done that a little bit. And, uh, I mean, I know some pieces of information about you, but not tons. I know you live in Oklahoma. I know uh, I know you love top threes more than Dave Letterman top three loves top tens. I love them. And I know you're a pretty faithful guy. Uh, faith is a big part of your life. And the last piece of it is I know that you uh, you recently made the move to a tiny house with your family. So that's kind of all I know, man. But uh, I know there's more pieces to the Rex Barrett puzzle than I can see or hear with my uh, see with my eyes or hear with my ears. So you got to fill me in from day one. I'm Ben Grenell, and this is Character. Episode 27, I Saw the Sign, with Rex Barrett. took 41 years to get to where I am. <laughs> not that not that far. Uh, I, I was born in California. So born California, Bakersfield, the, the place. And it's where my dad was born too. And uh, I'll, I'm even going to go, I'm going I'm to go further back. It's even yeah, t- further it. back than me. Let's go, let's go to my dad. Let's go to my dad. Yeah, we got to go there. Uh, yeah, we got to go there. Dad's the root of all this stuff, you know. I, I've been to a counselor enough to know that. So, uh, my dad is—he's deaf. He can't hear. 
um, his brother is too. He, my dad and his brother are, they were actually born hearing and got school, bad school immunizations in California. That'd be, I don't know. I, I'm guessing my dad's in his mid sixties. I'm a terrible son for probably not knowing that, but, um, yeah. So my dad got school immunizations going into kindergarten and he started to go deaf through elementary school and ended up going completely deaf, uh, later on in life. And he was, he was considered deaf through school. He actually went to a, a deaf school, um, in California too. At, and so that, that has, that has impacted my life a lot. Like I learned how to sign as I was learning how to speak in a sense, you know, like that, those two things were the same speaking out loud and speaking with my hands and my expression. And I mean, even sitting here right now, I'm, I'm overly expressive and moving my hands around. Um, even though no one can see it, I mean, I'm, I'm recording a podcast. So, uh, I born in California, my dad, and imagine this, uh, my dad was a hearing aid salesman and Come on. Yeah, right. So, who would you buy hearing aids from other than the guy who actually wears them himself, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, my dad, he's a great salesman. Um, we moved to San Diego for a little bit. Now, I'm talking when I was young, like we're we're up to about 4 by now and my mom and dad moved to moved us to Washington state. And you know, even though I'm I'm 41 years old and I've lived in Oklahoma for quite some time now, pushing I think pushing 20 years. Yeah, I'm at 20 years now. Uh, in a continuous stretch in Oklahoma, I still and I still consider Seattle my home. I'm wearing a Seattle Seahawks cap on my head right now. I love it there. I love the ocean. I love the mountains. I love the cool. Um, I love the culture. I just I just love Seattle. So I was I was raised in Seattle. Now, uh, faith for the beginning part of my life was not was not a thing at all. My mom and dad were not Christians. Um, didn't, you know, weren't affiliated with any religion of any sort at all, but my mom and dad in a kind of last ditch effort to save their marriage decided that they would try out a church. And so I'm guessing I was about four years old and we made the move from California to to Washington State. As a matter of fact, let's go back to California. The U-Haul truck to get moved was packed. My mom and dad's stuff was completely packed up in the U-Haul truck. They're getting ready to drive to Washington State. And in the middle of that, uh, right as they were getting ready to go, they had the blowout of all blowouts, finally just had enough, got to that point where they were just going to get a divorce. But you know, all the stuff's in the U-Haul and you don't have a house. They sold their house. And so they, they started on down the road and, you know, partway down, they decided that they would give this church thing one try, like try to save the marriage one time and uh, one more time. And they went to a church and ended up Lord saved them. And my dad, I mean, it's, it's a transformation. If you're familiar with like stories that you read in the Bible, there's a guy whose name was Saul and, uh, then he, he, sorry, I got to figure out how to not get texts on this thing, huh? No Go worries. to do not disturb. Yeah, I think, man, the, the, uh, what a bummer. I don't, I don't know if it's my Wi-Fi or yours, but we're just getting a little bit of breakup, but it's all good. Yeah. I think we're, we're kosher now, if you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Am I good yeah, again? So, 
Yeah, you're so, good. So you're saying their um, stories in the Bible is what we kind of left yeah, off yeah. on. So, you know, there's the story in the Bible where there's this dude named Saul and he's running around doing whatever he wanted. And then he had an encounter with God. And in this encounter with God, he uh, he ends up being turned to Paul, like change his name, like everything about him, everything about the man changed. So he was against the ideas of Jesus. Um actually persecuted people who were followers of Jesus and then turned into a guy who, man, he wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, you're talking a conversion. Well, my mom and dad's conversion, while not that profound, like they weren't persecuting Christians by any means, but it was a profound transition. My dad went from being a salesman to going to Bible college. And this is in his thirties now, you know, he goes to Bible college and commits his life to being a pastor of a church. So that my dad being deaf and then my dad's uh, conversion experience really shook. Those two things shook our, uh, our trajectory, you know, dad going from having a lot of money, um, having status to now my dad's in college and taking side jobs you know, at the, at an hourly pick up a few hours here and there, you know, digging ditches and stuff like that to make ends meet. So it was a really big transition. And I remember in particular, one of the transitions, like we loved eating seafood and, you know, and you're going to eat seafood, you're going to spend a little bit of money. And I remember, um, my parents still, trying to give us some of the taste of the fancy life, you know, but they couldn't because they were just financially strapped. And I remember my mom and dad getting a spam, in the can, the canned ham, that gross stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, putting a pineapple on top and some cloves on it and decorating it up. Like it was just this fancy ham. I remember eating that as a kid and not thinking anything of it. It was like, Hey man. Yeah. So what we lived in a big house before and the house in San Diego had a swimming pool. And I see all the pictures of their big liquor cabinet and parties that they're having there. And now my dad's, we're living in a, we're living in an apartment complex, this small place. And uh, my dad's going to Bible college in Seattle to be a pastor. And then he, he becomes a pastor and uh, my brother's born around this time. And so we just, I grew up in Seattle as this kid who was running around hitting the beach. My dad, man, is a different time. It seems like, because I was allowed to hop on a bike and go anywhere I wanted, head down to the pier, watch the ferries come in and out. Like it was, it was one of the times I, I actually, when I'm, when I'm kind of meditating, when I'm, when I'm feeling stressed, when I'm feeling anxious, that's one of those places I go back to in my mind, you know, just sitting there on the sandy beaches and, Watching the watching the fairies come in and out, take a deep breath, relax. Just and so, so yeah. you're, you're you're like seven, eight years old at this point in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven, eight. Now I'm nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Go, growing up there, my dad became pastor of a church and decided to uh, get get a little more education at a at a school in Minnesota. So we moved to Minnesota. And, uh, all this while baseball's kind of been, been my passion. Like, so I'm going to throw that in now too. I love baseball. My parents got me involved in baseball from T-ball and I just played every single year. Um, and so we moved to Minnesota and just plugged in and we lived there for a couple years and there were, you know, 
thing I remember about about living in Minnesota was as a, like I think it was I'm probably I'm going to say 87 and people can look this up and figure out exactly when it was because we're talking in generalities here but it's when the Minnesota Twins won the World Series so that's the tie to baseball I got to live in Minnesota when the Minnesota Twins won the World Series and that was super cool you know that's funny because we're we're relatively close in age you're a little bit older I'm I'm 36 and uh but I was I was a huge Minnesota Twins fan too because Minnesota like I've always been a sports fan um and I I don't know what it was my aunt and uncle lived in Minneapolis and we used to go down there and visit so I became a Twins fan early on and I remember living through the Kirby Puckett days and um that's exactly when all, yeah. all those old players and I used to, I had all the gear and I used to follow the stats and it's funny because it's, uh, you don't hear of too many late eighties, early nineties twins fans. It was kind of them and the blue Jays. You, people would get, yeah. uh, divided between the two. Yeah. You got Kirby Puckett or Joe Carter, right? As the. Exactly. And both he- heavy swingers, heavy swingers, heavy swingers. Yeah. It was a great age. Kirby Puckett, Kent Herbeck. Uh, yep. Gary Gaetti, all those guys, man, and the pitchers that they brought in has a is a blast. It was a really good run. So I got to be there for the Homer Hanky, and <laughs> that's like the the advent of that the towel craze, you know, waving yep. the towel around. Got yep. to go to a game. It was great. Like I, I, I look I, though I only lived in Minnesota for a couple of years. Uh, I remember it. I remember it fondly. The thing that I thought was so crazy about living in Minnesota. And I don't know if this is the way it is again, just living there a couple of years. I remember the summers being just hot as heck and us going, finding somewhere to swim. Cause it was just so freaking hot. And then the winters, my gosh, I've, I've never experienced winter like that. Like that is, and you must experience it all the time, man. I am just not used to that. The ice and the snow and man in Oklahoma living here, if there's a li- if there's a dusting of snow, it's over. School is out for potentially days. In Minnesota, it's like it drops all the snow. Everything's clean by the next day, and you're walking to school like normal. <laughs> so yeah. different. Yeah, I mean, we don't get it. I mean, we get bad winters, right? As far as being cold, um, our, our our climate's very similar to Minnesota, where summers are pretty hot. The only difference is that that Minnesota gets a, a little bit more humidity than we do in the summer. Um, land of 10,000 lakes, right? But we we have tons of fresh water here. It's just that I think we've got, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm going to speak out of context because I'm not a meteorologist by any means, but um, we get extremely cold winters. Like our, uh, the coldest that we'd get here would be like minus 60 Fahrenheit with the wind chill. Oh yeah. Oh, I remember, I remember <laughs> seeing 30 and 40 below and that's just, it's mind blowing. Like here, if we get, we get into the forties for if it gets below freezing, you know, and it does happen here in Oklahoma. We get, we get below freezing some, but when that happens, it's like, man, we're out. It can be too cold and school is canceled. Like no doubt about it. That I'm not exaggerating when I say that, like <laughs> freezing cold, that means that there could be ice. And if there's ice, you do not want to be around an Oklahoma driver. No <laughs> doubt. Oh man, that's so funny here. It's just, <laughs> as long as, uh, as long as the snow isn't too deep, doesn't matter how cold it is. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rare that school would be closed because it's too cold. It does happen, but we're talking like minus, it'd be like 
minus 50, minus 50 Celsius where like there'd be considerations where it's like, ah, I think school's closed and not even all of them, like just kind of remote rural schools. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a difference. Imagine in Florida, that's where my, that's where my brother and his family kind of, they, they uh, live in an RV also. So they travel around and kind of their base station is out of Florida right now. And going out there, I can't even imagine there, his kids and he's got four little girls and his little girls, when they come to Oklahoma and it's like 60 degrees with a little bit of a breeze, they're, they're wanting to throw jackets on, man. Like it's, they are not, they're not used to cool weather at all. It's really hilarious. So for those people that would be listening and they live in the South, they live in some tropical climate, follow what <laughs> you're saying. That is unbelievable to think of 30, 40 and 50 below zero. It's, it's really unbelievable. Yeah, but you, you dress for the weather, right? And it's you, dress you, for the weather. Yeah, and you acclimatize, like you you become a product of your environment. So it's it's just one of those things that you get used to. And I always look at it like you can sit there and you can complain, or you can throw on an extra sweatshirt or whatever it is, and make sure you're dressed appropriately, and you face the day as it is, and you say today's a great day. Yeah, that's how I feel about cold weather. Now it's the hot weather, and that's. And I'll get into Oklahoma in a little bit, but man, when it's hot, when it's a hundred, 105, 110, there's nothing you could do. There's nothing you could do, but stay inside. Like, and then your electric bill's 300 bucks. So yep. it's not, not helpful. So yeah, Minnesota, that was, it was a good couple of years, man. I, I liked it there, had fond memories. Um, I went to, we lived downtown for a little bit. And so then we, uh, when I was in middle school there, um, went to, is just is a different place. I mean, there's African Americans and white kids and Hispanic kids. Like it was a the, where I lived, there was a lot of culture and a lot of diversity. And so I say that to kind of set this up that my dad, as he was getting this, finishing up this degree when I was in middle school, he said, you know, he kind of prayed. And he said, "Hey God, if uh, if you open a door." What I mean by that is like, if you, if I get a phone call or if I, if there's, if something looks promising, if some job comes open, I'll go check it out. Whatever door you open, like whatever thing you put before me, I promise you, I'll at least check it out. So my dad got a call from a, from a church, little tiny church in Oklahoma, a little town called Sulphur, Oklahoma, 4,200 people. Um, it's where they have the school for the deaf. I don't know if people realize, but your state, if you're in the United States, your state probably has a school for the deaf and a school for the blind. And that used to be a really popular thing that people did quite a while back. And they, they're still around. There's still a deaf school. Some, some parents still send their deaf kids to school and they, they go away for the week. Like a bus picks them up and drops them off on a Monday. They probably come back on Sunday. Actually, Sunday night is when they come back. They're there till Friday, Friday after school, they get bust all back around Oklahoma and get dropped back off in their homes to be in their family's homes for Saturday, part of Sunday, only to drive back to be in school with the other deaf kids. Cause a lot of times parents don't learn sign language. Um, so this little church guy in the little church called my dad up and my dad was like, Nope, Nope, we're not interested in Oklahoma. But then he felt super guilty about it. Like that was the wrong decision. he kind of told God I would do this thing. So I remember us piling in a car and I'm in middle school. We're checking out uh, Oklahoma, Sulphur, Oklahoma. And we drove from Minneapolis 
down to Sulphur, Oklahoma, and it was terrible. I mean, I hated the visit. We visited a little church, like 4,200 people when you're living in downtown Minneapolis. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like Minneapolis is a huge city. And now I'm in this little podunk town. It literally had one stoplight. So we did the visit over a weekend and we're driving back home. And I remember looking at my mom and dad and being like, man, thank God we never have to go back and do that again, huh? And my parents were like, yeah, about that. We took the job. So to just, you want to talk about earth shattering. Like here, I'm a kid that grew up in San Diego, Seattle, and Minneapolis, three large cities. Uh, now I'm, my parents packing me up and moving me to Sulphur, Oklahoma, just to get ready to go into high school. And you're, and, kind, of, you're kind of at that age too, where uh, when you're around your teenage years, I find that's when you, you really start to secure form some of your long-term best friend relationships, you know, because you're, you enter in a new phase of life. When you're a kid, yeah. you might have best friends that, that continue on through your teenage years. But when, when you reach that, that age, let's say 13, um, you feel like your eyes are open to new experiences in the world. And so I can imagine it being tough where you feel like you've got this group of friends and you just have to pick up and leave. Yeah, man. Um, is is so different. Like, you know, like I said, when I was in Seattle, like I had freedom. I, I rode my bike and went down. I mean, we're in a big city and I'm riding my bike and hanging out in a metro area, you know, and um, making friends, moving around a lot. And yeah, that move to Sulphur, it, it really rocked me. And I, you know, I know a lot of people move around and this was just that crucial time. Like you're kind of saying it was a really crucial time. So I moved to, I moved there. I get there, you know, the, the things to do there were to play football, to wrestle, to show animals, not even lying, like, like show pig. You ever heard of that before? No, like, like show farm animals. Yeah. You, you literally show a farm animal and a judge looks at the animal and determines like, what the best pig is and what the best cow is and what the best goat is and what the best horse is. Like they, there's whole fairs that are dedicated to this thing where they're feeling around on animals and seeing if they're like good meat producers or good for breeding. And they have like, you go to school to be a judge. Absolutely bizarre. Like these are the things that were happening in sulfur. Uh, Looking for the best purebred bovine you can find. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to a class one time and we loaded up, we literally loaded up in a school bus and went out into a field where a backhoe had dug out a chunk of the ground. And we were, and I, and it's, you know how you just get some things that like stick in your mind. And I remember <laughs> yeah. like, Oh, look, this is clay and this is loam. And this is like, we had to learn the layers of sediment and judge if this sediment, if this plot of land would be good for growing wheat and corn and stuff and sorghum and like it i was in the class in high school where we did this like that's a a real thing i learned how to weld in sulfur high school yeah <laughs> I, I i learned how to this is so i'm gonna say something crazy now like i learned how to cut the balls off of a pig in sulfur high school and learned how to castrate bulls in sulfur high school where i where we end up cutting them up and frying them as a fundraiser for our school. Like just a, 
a different life experience than Seattle where oh. you're sipping uh, the latest latest Starbucks espresso for <laughs> judging that. It's so bizarre. Like he I yeah, I was in I I've been to and and went to frequently the very first Starbucks in the United like the the Mecca, it's that one in Seattle down over by the Pike's Place Market, right? Yeah. Like that that one that's the iconic one. It's the it's the one where the mermaid's boobs are uncovered. Like it's before the logo got <laughs> got sent out to the masses. <laughs> and so being in sulfur was a trip. I showed up with my uh, with my I had lucky jeans, you know, those are the ones where you unzip them and show people the lucky and the zipper. And I had my this, I don't even know that some of these are brands anymore, but my Jabot shirts and my Tiva sandals back when Tevas weren't sold in discount, but they were like the Chacos of their time. You know, they were the expensive shoe. I showed up wearing these clothes, not pinning my pants, but you know, rolling them up like at that time was popular. And, um, with my baby blue Nike flights. And that was, you know, an homage to, to Jordan himself. And so I show up wearing that and immediately I'm just accused of being this weirdo. Look at this feminine guy wearing these goofy clothes. Oh gosh, it was so tough. And so I realized, man, if I'm going to survive here, I've got to make a shift. And I'm, you know, probably a little over dramatic, but when you're, when you're a kid, that's the, that's how it feels, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you left Seattle at an interesting time too, because in, in North America, well, no, let's just say the world, say the world, Seattle around that time within a few year window, we'll say was going through such an interesting transformation where the grunge scene was building out of their underground. And then it became very commercial, there was a big heroin epidemic and it's not that you'd necessarily be exposed to it, but when you live in that world, in that environment and all eyes are on Seattle as being this breeding ground for culture that can impact and influence uh, a young teenager, a young lad in, uh, in ways that you can't imagine. So it's like, it's interesting that you left that around that time. And then you went to somewhere that was, uh, it was totally the opposite and it, it really would have changed your mindset. Oh man, totally changed my mindset. And I, you know, I kind of had to, I had to scrap that. I had to scrap that trajectory, scrap that look, scrap who, you know, you think you are, you think those external things are who you are. But then you got to reassess and kind of get down to the core of who you are and how you how you live that out in the location where you are. Just like you mentioned about uh, putting on more clothes, you know, yeah, putting on more clothes didn't change who you were, but it allowed you to live in the environment that you were in. And so that's what I had to do. I had to kind of change my environment. I mean, I had to change my yeah, change my environment, but I had to change uh, those external things. And so, you know, I. I got into a fight, um, just was stumbling kind of through it, wrapping up, I was wrapping up eighth grade in sulfur. So, um, I joined football. Like I never played football before. I still play baseball, but I, I never, I never played football. I jumped in on that, uh, jumped into wrestling of all things. Like that was popular there. So jumped into wrestling and the weirdest jump of all was jumping into showing pigs. It's like, well, if they're going to give me high school credit for this thing, I'm going to do it. And 
I just, I refused to wear boots. Everyone else wore boots. I joined the FFA. FFA at that time, I don't know what it stands for now, but now back then it used to stand for Future Farmers of America. <laughs> Future Farmers of America. And uh, so I joined that and I need to get some money to buy my first pig. So I called up my grandpa in California. He lived in Stockton. It's like, hey, grandpa, I need some money, man. I need to, I need to buy a pig. I need to, need to, and, and he sent it. He sent it and sent me the money, went out and buy pig for a few hundred bucks and started showing the pig and winning money, winning prize money. And it was, it was actually a really fun thing to do. I had a little farm that we, that we all kept him in just outside of city limits. And, uh, yeah, showed pigs through high school and so earned money. What was that pig's name? Yeah. Well, the first one I, that here's, here's where you make mistakes. My friend, the first one I named, <laughs> I named him that you don't do that. I named him uncle B that was, uh, after my uncle Bob, he loved, he collected pig figurines. So I named him uncle B and it came down to the very last show, the very last show you actually, you, you sell it to the butcher shop and they give you, it's uh, they judge it and give you a certain amount per pound, right? Like my first pig I sold for 27 cents per pound. So I sold my pig and I watched it walk up the little walk up into the truck. You know, you see him going down the highway sometime like that truck that has kind of those circle windows all over it. That's open to the air. You see all the animals just crammed into it. They go from the show where it's all like pomp and circumstance and American flags and cowboys and, you know, everything you imagine about hurrah, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, like that feeling into this thing. And I remember tearing up and choking up and being like, oh my dear God, I am too close to this animal. So from then on, I never named us. I never named so Uncle <laughs> Uncle B became Uncle Bacon pretty quick. Yeah. Uncle Bacon, Uncle Sausage, Uncle Pork Chop. Yeah, it was done. It was done. And never, never did I name another one. Never, never did I allow my heart to get so close to an animal <laughs> probably affects me to this day i don't think i'm very close to my dog <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of different than like breeding horses like because you'd buy that pig for a few hundred bucks and then you're selling it at say 25 cents on the dollar so you're actually like it's it's not like you you build if you want to if you want to really turn it into a business you're not actually building equity in the pig you're you're like losing money after showing it at the I guess very, so here's the thing though. Yeah, here's the deal. In the middle, you're winning prizes. Oh, okay. so yeah. You're taking them to a contest and you're getting, you know, hundred, two hundred, five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars for winning these contests because what they do is they have a they have a fake auction. And this is how they put the money back into the system so the kids can get some money back on it. You take your pig and it and as their judge, so you might have the the blue ribbon winner. Then they go and they do a fake auction where you walk the pig through and then all these, you know, cowboys and businessmen and all that, they bid on your pig and then they give you the money for the pig, though you get to keep the pig. And that's where your profit margin is. Gotcha. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. But you're sinking in day after day. I mean, obviously you can't go a day without going out there. You're going out there a few times a day and you got to train them how to walk. And dude, I didn't expect to talk about pigs this long, but yeah, that's, that happened. So I, I end up folding in pretty well. I learned how to weld. I learned how to, I learned animal husbandry and all that came with that. And man, it was a, it was a good time. I'll have to say that living in Sulphur was great. If you're going to live in a town in Oklahoma, Sulphur is a really dang good town because that's where the national recreation area is. So there's natural springs and 
waterfalls and, you know, their hills are not mountains by any means, but just a good place to live. And, you know, you're wearing your sulfur jacket and sulfur clothes and you kind of get indoctrinated because a small town, like you think about it in a big city, you might have, I don't know, just around me right now, I'm living in Oklahoma city. It's a pretty big city. I mean, I can think of just, just in, within 10 miles of me, I think I can probably name you six, seven high schools that all compete at a state level. And so that, that small town pride is not there wearing sulfur, man. There's one high school and you are playing, you are playing another city when you're playing football. Like you're not just playing this, you know, this team that's in this part of Oklahoma city. It is sulfur versus Davis versus Winnie Wood. Like it is a clash of the Titans when you're, when you're that size, when there's just one school in town, you know? Yeah. And everyone ends up knowing each other in a positive way. And then in a negative way, everyone ends up knowing each other's business too. Oh, dude, there's no doubt about it. Everyone knows everything. If you are, you know, like I said, it's a one stoplight town. So if you, you get busted doing something down at the grocery store, man, every, your mom and dad know about it. Like there's just no doubt about it. No doubt about it at all. They're going to find out. So there's no hiding anything. And so as I'm coming into, coming into graduation, I'm like, I pull out a map. This is pre, pre-phone, right? Pre-iPhone, pre-pager even. We didn't have page. We didn't have anything like that. We just, you just knew to be home at a certain time or your parents were going to be ticked at you, right? And I, uh, I looked at a map as I was coming up to graduation. It was like, I got to get to the closest big city. And so it was either Kansas City or Dallas. And I just figured that Dallas was the is a little bit closer. And I had an old Bronco two, an old eighty seven Bronco two back in nineteen ninety four. And Dallas, Texas, was the closest town. And I ended up kind of following in my dad's footsteps and went to a little Bible college in Dallas, Texas. And man, I so I went right back to Metro living, living in the big city, loving it. Dallas was kind of booming and blossoming at this time. The downtown scene was great. If you're into music, Deep Ellum was there. So we got to see great bands. And uh, downtown was thriving with the with the West End. And I think all that's kind of fallen off now. But at that time, there's just a lot going on. And it was a, it was a good time. Like I, I really had a great time living in Dallas, Texas. And there's not too much to say about that, except for I was in Bible college. And you think that Bible college is probably going to be tame and and... I don't know. Anytime you put a bunch of 18, 19, 20, 21 year old people in a, in a small space together, craziness ensues. And, uh, yeah, I kind of, that's where I kind of had my wake up call where and, okay. I was, I had to wrestle with my own faith. Yeah. Go, go I was going to say, and you got 18, 19 year olds and you've got a, a great vehicle that 87 Bronco two, man, that Dude. is a vehicle. That was a vehicle. I loved it. I am. I, probably the the most shameful thing I ever did was sell that thing. It had 275,000 miles on it. A guy offered me, I remember the amount because it matches $2,750 and I took it. Ugh, shameful. Shameful. Uh, to this day, I look for Broncos to try to buy one. Only bad thing about that that era of Bronco was, man, were they, they had so much swing weight. Like just, they were, they were not weighted very well. So I remember one of my, nah. my high school friends had one and we just to take it on the highway and you'd go to change a lane and you'd be sitting there going, Oh, 
I hope it's not too windy out because it's just like it would. <laughs> it was such a it was a great boxy car, but yeah, man, those are those are classic classic vehicles. Yeah, I I will have one one day, but I looked up and I I also have owned a few full size Broncos through the years too, and so I went I go to this guy uh, guy's website Max Lighter Motors. I was looking at his and man, if you want a fixed up one, and they've put you know they fixed everything. It's all power everything. Uh, put a new motor in, new transmission, everything's brand new on them, and they go for forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. And I'm like, dang man. It's like a new car. <laughs> one day I'll have one. Well, exactly, man. One day I'll have one. But they put in roll bars and they put in uh, things for seat belts because it's so crazy to think back then you wouldn't have a place to attach your uh, where your uh, car seat. You know, didn't have the anchors. Now they put those in, so they're all safe. So you got your your soccer moms and soccer dads all driving around in them, and they're totally as safe as a modern car not going to tip over like those old ones yeah those are <laughs> such good vehicles oh man it'll come it'll yeah. come it'll come i believe it uh my wife gave me the go-ahead it's just a matter of getting the money in the bank account first we'll get you're there, more than halfway there <laughs> yeah man yeah i figure if i can have one if i can have one by the time i'm uh let's go with let's go with 55. That's going to be the goal. If I can have one at 55, I'll be good. I don't need one right now. Get the kids out of the house first. Then I, I don't want them to ruin it and spill, spill their Cokes in my car. Yeah. So, that that, that thing will be your classic. That's your, that's your <laughs> retirement vehicle. Freedom. 55. That's my retirement vehicle. So I was in Dallas and driving that Bronco around. And you know, one thing I've always been able to do going back to my dad being deaf and I learned sign language was I've been able to have like a, a grown up job ever since I was 18. And I, you know, what I mean by that is like a job where you're not working minimum wage, a job where you're making, you know, 25, 35, 45 bucks an hour doing sign language. So I was able to do that through school and I just paid cash for college doing that, working full time, paid cash for college. And it was, a uh, so I came out, came out debt free. And that's been something that I've been able to fall back on sign language, doing interpreting. So, you know, interpreting is just like, any deaf person needs to go to the doctor like you and I, any deaf person needs to go to college like you or I, any deaf person needs to do whatever, make phone calls. And, uh, I just help them with that. And there are contracts that you sign with state agencies and businesses. And so I was able to do that all through college. And that was, that was good. It's nice to never not have to worry about the stress of student loans and, you know, all that comes with that. And, uh, I, I did, so I went for, uh, got a degree in theology and did a lot with like children's education when I was there too. And that was when I kind of had to come to terms with is my faith, my dad's faith. Like, am I just doing this because I want to make my dad proud or am I doing this because it's something I really want to do? And that's got into some trouble in college. Uh, got kicked out of college and uh, petitioned to be let back in. And it's just, random stuff. I just broke every rule like once or twice, like every stupid little ticky tack rule. Finally blew it over spring break, my final year of college. And they dismissed me. And that was a real wake up call for me. Like, Oh my gosh, I got to get this thing together. And that's, that's when it, that's when a switch flipped. And I was like, yeah, this is my faith. This is, I'm not doing this just because my parents, I want to make my parents proud. I'm doing this because this is what I want to do with my life. 
and uh, petitioned the school that got back. I, I did an interview with the Dean of Men and the registrar and Dean of Students and all that. Sat at a big table. They sat in these big chairs and I was in a little folding chair in front of them. and was like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm here. I'd like to finish out. And they asked me to leave the room and I came back in the room and one of the ladies at the table was crying and I was like, oh gosh, that, that means it's over. Like <laughs> what in the world? The lady's crying and she just looked and said, you've got a lot of potential. See a lot in your future and uh, we're going to give you the, that second chance. And so uh, one of the things that's just kind of always stuck with me is one of the punishments that they gave me was I had to work for the school. So here now I had to trade my job where I was earning a ton of money for a kid, you know, to, uh, working for the school. So I was working for the school, uh, making ends meet like that. And when you're in a small Christian private school, they can do what they want, I guess. And then the other thing was I didn't, I, I didn't get to walk. I didn't get to, I graduated. They called my name, but I didn't get to, didn't get to wear the, didn't get to wear the hat, goofy hat. Didn't get to flip the tassel. Didn't get to wear the robe. And that's kind of stuck with me all these years thinking back, man, that sucks. Makes me, makes me think about earning another degree just to do that. But that seems like a stupid reason to earn another degree just to kind of be like, <laughs> I want that experience, but I missed out on that, you know, and then that's a big, that's a big regret I have. Wish I really wish I wouldn't have screwed up. Really wish I would have gotten things together, you know, even a few months earlier turn that around. So it's probably one of my biggest regrets. So, so were you just being mischievous? Like what was it that kind of led you down that just, path that you ended up getting kicked out? Yeah, man. Just not, not respecting the curfews, not coming back, you know, messing around with alcohol. Um, just generally doing the things that if you imagine a really conservative Christian school would be against like doing that, like, were you, were you consciously doing it? Like, were you doing it where you were like, I know this is wrong. Or was it one of those things where you're like 18, 19 years old and just kind of the executive function of your, your mind isn't, isn't processing things the way that it should be. And you're just not really, you're almost oblivious to the fact that it's bad. Yeah. I've always had this really weird thing where you know that you know that invincible thing that people talk about when a kid's in high school they really feel invincible and uh, they feel like they can do you know drive too fast and you know drink and drive or whatever they think oh man it can't happen to me I've got a long life to live that that feeling for me has stuck around way too long like sometimes I still feel like that I still feel like oh man I've got a long life I know that there's a lot I'm supposed to accomplish in life. So there's no way that there's no way that this life could end early. And I think that I kind of, you know, I kind of lived that out. Like, oh man, I'm, I'm too good to, for them to actually give me the boot. It's, it's better for other people to, uh, it's better for the school to have me here than it is for me to be gone. They should be proud. I'm here. You know, like just cocky, arrogant. I was, I was just, as a kid, I was just, cocky, arrogant, thought I could get away with whatever I could get away with. And, you know, it just takes, just takes a friend who has the heat put on him to narc you out on every little thing you've been doing so that they could get out of getting in trouble themselves. That's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. You know, just, he unleashed everything and I'm not going to lie. Like someone asked me, you've been doing all this stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I actually did. I didn't, I'm not lying yeah. about it. And 
that's how it all that's how it all but, came but together. But that's kind of the r- right thing in. to yeah. do, right? Like you yeah. you you make a decision and you face it. It's like to, to to lie about it. That's not the right thing to do. To come clean is the right thing to do, or at least that. I mean, that's the way I think about it. And maybe other people might think about it differently. But I mean, it's hard. I can imagine you went from this, you went from a big city and living that lifestyle, and then you move to somewhere where it's kind of this small town, um, good vibes, uh, everybody's humble feeling to. Hey, I'm back in the big city, and then your mind starts to think in that way again. Like, hey, this is exciting, and I'm I'm gonna live life right. And you're just exploring because you're yeah. still a young kid at that point. Man, I was gonna do it. That's right. I was gonna I was gonna go out every night. I was gonna yeah. You know, we didn't have a movie theater in town, so I'm gonna watch every movie. I'm gonna do everything. I'm gonna go to every festival. I'm gonna see every band. Yeah, just that. I'm going to make up for this lost time. I could have had this over the last five, six years. And now I'm going to have, I I'm having that, I'm having that experience again right now. And it was trying to, is wrestling through with like, how do you be a person of faith and still have those, you know, have, have a great time and live a little out there. And so that, that was what I, that was what I wrestled around with. And, so I, I finally graduated and I, I thought, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be an, in, I'm going to go do an internship at a church and see if this is the right thing. Right. See if, see if I could do this forever. And so I ended up getting an internship oddly enough back in Oklahoma and it was totally meant to be just a short term thing. Like I was going to be here, do 10 months, do this internship learn everything I could learn and then get out, go back to go back to Washington state. But, you know, I met my wife. (laughs) So met who I would eventually marry. And while I was in the internship and so met her, knew her throughout the year, graduated from the internship program. And we went on a few dates and dude, I knew that I was, I needed to marry this girl. Like, I, I had a dream about it. I had this I had this really weird dream one time where I saw this woman. I was standing in front and there was this woman walking towards me with a veil over her face, wearing a beautiful dress. And she came up to me and when the veil came back, it was my wife, Lainey. Like at the time, it was just this girl I knew, you know? Um, but at that point, I realized, man, this is this is a woman I want to marry. And so we, we literally went on two, I, I asked my wife to marry me on our second date For real? that we ever had. Yep. I was 21. She was 18 and I asked her to marry me and she said yes, <laughs> which, so she just graduated and went on a date with me. So let's see, she graduated. When do people graduate? Is that May? So she graduated in May. I asked her out on a date in July um, and we were engaged that month, man. And, and married by December. And and was she in school for like is did she grow up with uh with faith being a big part of her life too? Yeah, yeah. She was in a Christian, you know, private Christian school in a, in a high school. And we just knew each other at this. Like that um we weren't dating. There was not like there was nothing. We actually did not like each other. I was the obnoxious, arrogant jerk guy and she was the do-goody little Christian girl. So we, we knew each other cause we went to the same church, but you know, there was nothing, nothing happening there. And, uh, we, yeah, just happened to 
she'd already, she graduated from high school and hung out a few times. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I knew it was just this weird thing. There are some couples that have this thing where you just kind of know, and we both kind of knew in, in July. So getting married at 21 for me and 18 for her, like that has introduced some, that's tough. Like she went straight from her mom and dad's house to, to live in with me, you know, like that was, it was a crazy transition when you think about it. And she wasn't willing to move and I wasn't going to force her cause I just wanted to be with her. And so that's the, so we stayed in, stayed in Oklahoma. Yeah. And those, those are, I mean, early twenties, those are formative years still, right? Like a lot of, a lot of young 20 year olds, young adults, if you want to call them that will still be exploring the world and um, partying and getting into trouble and being mischievous. And uh, you went down a different path, right? So I can imagine that, that uh, your wife comes out of school, you just graduate, you finish an internship, you kind of uh, persuaded if you want to call it that, persuaded your way back into school so that you could follow faith, which was something you're toying with. And so it's, it's one of those things that you're, yeah, you're in a different period of life and you, you learn to adapt to that lifestyle, that mindset together. Yeah. We really did grow up together. You know, you think about everything you learn from 18 into your thirties. And for me, 21 into my thirties, we really did. We grew up together. We didn't have, we didn't have our, my son for quite a while. We didn't get married because she's pregnant or anything like is, is just, I don't know. Let's see. I've been, we've been married. This will be 20 years in December. Uh, my son's 14 years old, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So six years, we waited six years to have a kid. And so we had six years of just kind of learning each other and growing up together. My wife going to school and navigating job changes and all those things in those volatile early twenties that both of you have going on. We, we had each other, we had each other for those. And we had, we had my wife's family there. Like there, I'm really close to my wife's, my wife's family. Like that's a, it's, they're my, they're my mom and dad too. You know, like got my mom and dad and got them as mom and dad too. And they've helped us. I remember one time them being a referee in a fight that my wife and I were having, you know, calling us in and sitting us down like we're in the principal's office. All right, kids, let's talk about this thing. There's some things you need to fix. And us being like, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the coaching. Thank you for the advice. It's been helpful. You know, it's been helpful. It's probably one of those things that's helped us stay together through all these years. Yeah. I mean, it's good to have that kind of support system too. And if you, um, if you had moved, right? Let's say you'd moved somewhere where you don't have any support system on either side, then it can make it even tougher because you're growing up together and you're growing together and you're facing, uh, you're facing some great times and then you're facing adversity because that's called life. And it's, it's, yeah. it's tough to celebrate the good times when you don't have a support system and it's tough to face the adversity when you don't have a support system. Yeah, it, it is really tough. And you know, the volatility of that age lends itself to just like you're talking about really, really high highs. Like when you're in your early twenties. So think about that. Like some of your biggest highs are right then you're getting your first job. You're, you know, get your first raise. You, 
you're having your kid, like all of these monstrous highs, but the lows are just crushing lows, gigantic fights filled with immaturity, tough times. I became a school teacher. So being a school teacher, you know, I was, I was make in Oklahoma, school teachers are paid pitifully. Um, even today, you know, 20 years later, school teachers only paid about what $30,000 in the state of Oklahoma, 30, 35. And I was making substantially less than that back then in 97, 98. Um, so I took, you know, when you're a school teacher, you just, I kept adding all the little things. So I started teaching at a, at a private Christian school and, uh, I, Oh, you need me to do after school detention because it pays $500 more. I'll do it. Oh, you need me to be a football coach. Cause you'll pay me whatever, $10,000 more. Okay. I'll do it. Oh, you need me to teach powerlifting. Cause you'll pay me $2,000 more. Okay. I'll do it. So my days were just filled. I was gone from sun up to literally during football season, way past sundown. You know, you practice all anyone who's played sports knows like you, you practice, you run those kids into the night till dark. And man, it was, I'll just say that there, that's the truth is that there were really high highs and really low lows. And for us, I don't know. I don't know that my wife and I'd be together without faith, without having a community of people who gathered around us and helped us through it, helped us through these hard times, helped us through the fights, helped us through the bitterness that ima- that builds up. And that's, that's always been really, really important to us, man. And so we had, we had our first kid six years in, his name is Bo and man, Bo is just, he's my everything. He is, he is a special kid, man. Loves technology. I can't even imagine he, growing up with phones and computers and that's like part of every I didn't have any of that and he has all that and so co- learning how to code computers and making video games like that's that's his path that's his trajectory that he's on so having him has been just an absolute blast and then uh after I after I taught for 5 years man I couldn't do it anymore teaching is so hard I respect everybody who manages to be a teacher. I taught high school. I taught ninth through 12th grade. I taught theology because it was private school, Christian school. I taught history, um, some accounting classes. And it's pretty funny because I was 21 years old when I got my first teaching job and I'm teaching 17, 18 year olds in high school. It's really funny and not much older. And so I had to put my bluff in, you know, I had to put my bluff in that I wasn't so close to the same age as them. So I wore a suit. Like I, I suited up. I made sure I looked older. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna show them. I wear a tie every day, you know. <laughs> one of those, one of get my bluff. Those in. old school, double breasted, oversized suits. <laughs> Some of them were ugly like that. I'll guarantee yeah, it. Go a little. I'll guarantee little, it. Little uh, year round <laughs> Movember, a little uh, facial hair, a little duster on the upper lip, just yeah. to maybe slick the hair back, and you know, try all the tricks in the book. Yep. Oh man, I lived that. You you described the photo that I could show you to a T. Like that is that is one hundred percent it. <laughs> Just trying to trying to keep a step ahead of those kids. But man, teaching was so hard, and I end up I end up uh, stopping after five years, and I became a pastor. I became the the second 
in church culture, it's called the executive pastor. Some people call it an associate pastor, but basically I started taking care of the operations of the church. I'm not, I'm not good as the number one guy. Like that's not my, that's not my thing. I'm, I'm the second in command, you know, that's my, I, I, I'm better, better out of there. I don't need to be the, I don't need to be the guy in the stage, in the pulpit. I'm the, I'm the guy who helps get the stuff done. And it was at this time that uh, I was working for the church and I started seeing in our community, man, that people needed help and there's poverty and I wanted to do something about it. And so at the time I thought maybe, maybe if I run for state office, like maybe if I run for state rep, I can, I can help lead change from a high level, right? Like I can institute change. So I ran for office, man. I, I jumped in and started raising money, um, knocking on doors, talking to people, got signs up all over, all over the city, vote for Rex, (laughs) catchy name. So easy to put on a poster, got those up in people's yards and just ran a really, really tough campaign and ran against a guy named Scott and he and I got after each other a few times for sure. And we did mail outs. I raised, you know, pushing $150,000 to run for state representative. And I mean, I lost, I lost by just the littlest margin. It was so close, so close. And that as I, I was so, my boss was so kind to let me run for office. And basically my full-time job became knocking on doors introducing myself to people, asking for their votes, hearing them, hearing what their needs were, um, hearing what they, what they would like for me to do when I was in office. And I, so losing, I I really, you know, I really thought that I was going to win this thing. I, I really thought I was going to win. So losing by just a few hundred voters, like if a few hundred voters would have just not voted for him and voted for me, I'd be state rep. But I had to kind of, I had to step back and that's when I was like, well, God, I thought this is, I thought this is what you wanted me to do. I thought that you were setting me up for this. And so what am I supposed to do? And you know, what I ended up doing was I started a nonprofit called Project OKC and OKC is obviously Oklahoma City. I started a nonprofit called Project OKC and Project OKC was kind of born out of this problem that I had. I had this problem where I I wanted to go and I wanted to volunteer. I wanted to go help at, you know, a soup kitchen. I wanted to go help at a homeless shelter. And every time I would go try to help here, they'd say, well, how long do you want to commit for? And I'd be like, well, I don't want to commit yet. I want to see what it's like and figure this thing out, see if this is going to be a good fit for me. And so they said, well, you can't, you can only do that if you bring a lot of people with you and then we'll let you do a one-off. And so I I said, well, how many people do I need to bring? And they're like, oh, you know, if you can get 15 people to come, get 15 people to come, then we could do this thing. So that was when I had this idea. Twitter was just starting. Um, There's a website called Meetup. You ever heard of Meetup.com? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, it's not not a dating site. Meetup.com is where people can organize, you know, groups. Like you can have a photography club. You could have you name it, like you name the thing. So for me, I started a volunteer group on meetup. I started getting prolific on Twitter, putting it out there. And so 
here's what I did. I said, uh, put it out there. Hey, I'm starting this group of people. We're just going to go volunteer and we're going to love Oklahoma City. We're going we're gonna to actually help. We're not just going to preach sermons and not do anything about it. This is going to be a group of people where all we do is actually get out there and help people. And the first day, uh, so I said, and I'll buy pizza for you. We'll go to this local restaurant. I'm going to buy pizza. And we're going to talk about what we want to do. And then the next week, we're going to do it. So the first week, it was me and my wife and my brother and his wife. And we talked about what we wanted to do. And we said, you know what? Let's go to a nursing home and let's help out a nursing home. So that week, I called up a nursing home. I met this lady named Kelly who was who was running the nursing home. And I said, hey, listen, I know a lot of times people probably come up to you and say, hey, we want to come to the nursing home and we want to do this thing for you. We want to paint your halls or we want to help you out. I said, but here's what I'm coming, where I'm coming from. I want to know what you need me to do. What, what do you, if I could bring four people, me, my wife, my brother and his wife, if I could bring four people over, what would you like us to do? And she said, man, no one's ever asked us like that. Typically people come in and tell us what they're going to do. So what we would like for you to do is do a movie night. We want you to bring popcorn and soda and just do a movie night. So our very first event we did was we went to a nursing home in the middle of the, the like in the middle of the east side of the city, um, really a place that's really dealing with a lot of poverty, uh, very poor nursing home, not funded really well. And we went there and I, I, it's hilarious because like I brought DVDs, like driving Miss Daisy and, you know, stereotypical movies that I thought old people would want to watch. Uh, we also, they happened to have their alien versus predator. So I said, what movie do you want to watch? Here's what we have. And all the senior citizens were yelling, alien versus predator, alien versus predator. So that was the very first thing that project OKC did is we went and showed alien versus predator ate popcorn with senior citizens and people who are in nursing homes that there are people in this nursing home who aren't senior citizens. There are people who, um, you know, their their parents couldn't take care of them or they're terminally ill. And yeah, that was the very, the very first night drinking Cokes and eating popcorn, watching movie with senior citizens. So we came back that next week and I took pictures of it. And I posted it on Twitter. I posted it on meetup and the next week we got together and we talked about what we did. So week one, we planned out an event. Week two, we did the event. And week three, we came back and talked about what we were going to do. So by the next month, you know, now there are 15 people showing up and we're going and we're serving at a homeless shelter. We come back and talk about it, what we learned from it. We Then we, uh, and that's a three week, the fourth week we would take a break. But what ended up happening was everyone would just by default show up at the pizza place. It was always at this one pizza place called Sauced. Uh, and then the next month there's 30 and the next month there's a hundred and the next month there's 150 pretty soon there are five to 600 people serving all over the city in volunteer events all over the city, working with local, um, local, there's a arts in the park, which is uh, Shakespeare in the park. We provided all of the volunteer services for them, like all of the uh, ushers and helping people get their tickets. And we provided the volunteers for them. We provided volunteers for, like I said, a homeless shelter for nursing homes. We helped walk dogs on Saturday mornings so that when people came in to adopt dogs, the dogs wouldn't be all hyped up and wild, but they would be calm. And that went on for a few years and ended up getting a little notoriety out of that, getting write-ups in the newspaper. And you can, you guys can Google around for that if you want. Project OKC, Rex Barrett, and see some news stories from back in the day doing that in early 2000s. 
and it was a really good time. I just, there's no, there was no way I figured, I couldn't figure out how to monetize it to make it my full-time gig because every bit of the money that we ever raised went back. You know, you've heard of Good Friday right around yeah. Easter time. And on Good Friday, I still own the website. It was, I feel like it was a great idea. It's called, we did Do Good Friday. We're on Good Friday. All we did all day long was help in a women's battered, a battered women's shelter. We helped there painting walls, setting up classrooms, helped in schools where there's a school. And I don't know if this is like it, this everywhere, but there's a school in Oklahoma where like, if you get pregnant, you go to this other school, you know, you're not in general population, but, or if you get in trouble, you go to this other school and we helped out in the school. So all day long, I just had hundreds of volunteers all over the city. And then I knew how to throw great parties and we would throw great parties, come together at night and just celebrate, man, the the good things that happened all through the course of the day. We did fundraisers. We threw concerts when Haiti, when, uh, when Haiti was just damaged, destroyed, we threw an event called raising Haiti where we raised a bunch of money and a bunch of money is all in, you know, it's all, <laughs> it was a few thousand bucks, but for us, it was a huge amount of money to throw a concert and have bunch of rappers come in and throw a big show. And it was just, it was a really, it was a really good time, man. It was a fun thing to do. But like I said, I couldn't figure out how to, how to make it my full-time gig and it really needed full-time help. And it just kind of, I sent an email out to everybody saying, I can't do this. Like I've got to have a job. I got to, I got to make money. And so I need everyone else to step up and kind of where it fell apart was when it got so big and it didn't have an infrastructure in place to help manage all of the volunteer needs. Um, you know, if you have a volunteer organization, an organization that needs 20 people to show up and 15 show up. Someone needs to contact those five and get them there. And I didn't have the bandwidth to do that. So it ended up blowing up, ended up falling apart. And uh, it was a shame because it was a good thing. But it was one of those things that was seasonal. Like it was a, it was a good thing to have happen at that time. And I'm really, probably one of my proudest accomplishments so far in life has been uh, the transition from running from for office to actually being boots on the ground, helping people like that, helping people with really practical needs. Yeah, I mean, you, you're running for office so that you could make a difference, and instead of folding when that that happened, where you um, you didn't have the outcome that you're hoping for, it's so easy to go down that dark hole and just kind of fold and be like, ah, the white flag is up. I I give up, right? But you figured out yeah. another way, another avenue to do the good and, and create the change that you're hoping to see. And it's, I mean, that's an amazing thing, man. It, whether whether or not it it um, would continue to go on, it's the, the reality is volunteering once makes a difference in someone's life. Volunteering a bunch of times with a bunch of people, you made a difference in people's lives. That's a, like it's it's a very very honorable thing. And it's something to be proud of for sure. Yeah. I think about, I think that there are probably some people on both sides there that are changed because of it. You know, you've got a, you've got a bunch of people who went into the parts of town that they never went to before, you know, like I'm on my side of town and you're on your side of town. They went over there, they helped, they had an experience. Um, so there's this group that now I believe there are people who are probably still to this day changed because of that. And they're helping, they're helping others and not living in their own bubble, living in their own little community, not getting out of it. And then there are the people that were able to help. There are the people that there are the kids that literally have had food in their bellies that night and had jackets on their backs. And 
um, a school that was clean and place they could go to. So it's, I mean, it's just, it was a really good time, man. It was a really good time. And I'm, I really hope that a lot of the, the good that came out of that is still sticking around to this day. And I'm sure it is, man. I'm sure that I'm sure it is. Sometimes it just takes one event like that to make an impact on one person where they remember that forever. And that's kind of the catalyst for change for them to act, navigate the world in a different way. Yeah. It's just kind of an awakening. You know, it's like the, you go to bed one way and then the next day you wake up and you realize, Oh man, I'm in a new reality. Oh, exactly. We're all, it's all of us. It's all of us in this life together. Exactly. We're doing this That's thing exactly together. exactly it. And so you you ran the nonprofit for a number of years, and uh, it sounds like that was fairly recent. That that would have uh, would have would have had to yeah. um, shut down just due to the infrastructure, um, the if, issue with that. And so yeah, I wrapped that up about six years ago. And, and so now I know now you're living in a, a tiny house, and you're you're a pastor right now. Is that correct? That's right. Right. So as I was winding Project OKC down, I met this guy in in town, pastor of a church of just a few hundred people. And he said, hey, do you want to do this Project OKC thing out of our building? And I was like, man, that'd be great. Love to do that. But at the same time, his son ended up getting spinal meningitis. So he dropped off the radar. Like I didn't I didn't hear from him. And by this time, he was kind of folding. But that kicked off a relationship with me and this guy where uh, he was the lead pastor of a church. And I, uh, I came back to that church and brought my family to it. And we really liked it. And we just started attending at first this seven years ago. So project OKC had a little bit of a, a, you know, about a year, a layover, but of those two things. And, uh, let me just rewind and say, so I, the way I was able to fund all of this was through sign language. So that's what I did between between those jobs, I funded Project OKC from doing uh, sign language gigs in Oklahoma City. So back to my, the blessing of my dad being deaf. <laughs> um, and I started, I ended up getting hired at the church and working my way up. And over the last seven years, I've become the, I'm the operations director. And so I do HR and finances, the business side, do the business side of the church. Um, I teach classes and things like that, but in the time I've been there, and I'm not saying I'm not attributing this to me by any means, but um, the time that I've been there went from just like four or five of us on staff to now having pushing 50 employees and uh, four different locations throughout Oklahoma City, thousands of people in and out of the doors of the church in four different places throughout the city. And it's just been a, it's been a crazy ride. It's been a really fun ride. Uh, if anyone wants to see, if you want to see where I work, I work at Frontline Church downtown in Oklahoma City. We're in one of the most iconic buildings in all of the city and ended up getting the building for dirt cheap uh, because it couldn't be anything other than a church, really. So we moved in there and the church started exploding in growth. And the thing I really love about being here is it's a church that cares about people. It's not just about Sundays, but it's about what happens during the week. Um, we started a nonprofit that is a whole lot like Project OKC. It's called the 405 Center. You can check that out at 405center.org where we have volunteer opportunities for people to get plugged into. And they jump in and just like Project OKC, work with other nonprofits, helping out other nonprofits, spending time helping the homeless, helping the poor, helping the hungry, 
Uh, and so we're doing that through the church now too. So it's kind of, it's all of it. it, it it's the culmination of how, where my life has been so far. It's the, it's the serving. It's the, it's the faith community. It's being part of a city that's starting to, I hated Oklahoma city for a long time. It was just a podunk town. Didn't have much. And now Oklahoma city is one of the fastest growing cities, uh, construction happening all over the high rise buildings being popped up. And it, this place is actually turning into a place with a lot of culture, a lot of good things. So it's, it took, it took 20 years of sticking it out, but now I'm living in a really great place doing work with a lot of really great people and uh, figured out a way to incorporate faith and community and serving the needs of people in our community. And it's all tied together because of sign language. (laughs) Sign language funded all of it to be able to happen. Thank God. (laughs) It's time for a little bit of love. Going to do the plugs real quick. But I think it's more important that we just show some love here. It's going through all the, the back-end stats, checking out all the different people from around the world that have been checking out the podcast. And it's, it's one of those things where, I, I mean, I appreciate it so much. And it's so crazy that there's been such a wide reach with this thing called character. So I thought I'd shed a little bit of light on some of the people in the countries give them some shout outs people in the countries around the world that have been listening kind of always every every couple months you see new countries pop up where things are trending and most recently been seeing a lot of love coming from india dominican republic switzerland france uk ireland saudi belgium hong kong iceland brazil bahamas got got kind of everywhere got Norway Romania South Africa you name it Iran literally everywhere like there it's it's just it's such a blessing to have such support and I thought that I would just let everyone know how much I appreciate them and appreciate all of you listening if uh if you do like like what you hear you do like listening the way this this love spreads is just letting one person know you can just text them and say hey man hey friend hey whomever check out this episode and if you really like it you can always subscribe and review that's uh that's kind of that extra bonus but yeah i appreciate all of you so much so thanks uh thanks for always being on the game gotta throw in a couple plugs you know the drill you don't have a suit that fits ephapparel.com fapparel.com custom fitted suits made to measure made just for you pick out your fabric your measurements all that good stuff enter promo code character at checkout get 20% off your suit that's fapparel ephapparel.com also big ups to uh, onnit onnit.com total human optimization onnit specializes in nutraceuticals and and all these great things just for keeping physically active and uh, keeping your your health in check, your performance at its uh, at its highest level. So go check out on it o n n i t dot com, and they'll hook you up with all the performance 
supplements, weights, training materials that you need to uh, to stay on track. Next week, super pumped. Hopefully next week, been working on. Uh, Got to give a shout out to my homeboy Mike. He's uh, he's a, a friend that we connected through the podcast community, and uh, he and I jammed on on a story. So I'm super excited to to tell his story, and it's going to be a little bit different format. Going to try and do it in more of like an NPR Gimlet style narrated format. So it's it's uh, it's going to be a good one. But looking forward to sharing that with all you. And uh, if you do have time, make sure you go check out Mike and his wife Tammy's podcast. It's called We Leave You This. Go subscribe on iTunes, show them some love, and uh, give it a rating. It's really good, really fun to listen to, and I think they just dropped. Episode 15 was the latest one, so uh, it's always good. Check it out every couple weeks. We Leave You This. And we'll see you all soon.